show on the end zone podcast podcast feed still no artwork for it maybe we'll never get artwork for it but i do like titling them uh, and that's fun so welcome back brian brown as you can tell my my goal is as we get deeper into the season you, you know how it is brian even as hobby horse podcasters it becomes a little bit of a grind we're here we're here in november and uh the weeks start to blend together and it's like oh man things here and there are, are happening the holidays are coming up it's getting busy this time of year the schedules are starting to become an issue and i i will say this i will i i will i do want to say this one thing i am kind of proud of is that you know we've been as i pull up the podcast feed really quick we've been okay with getting stuff out weekly not as much as i'd like to i haven't put out a pioneer pigskin in about two months which that's that's just a, a matter of not wanting to podcast early on sunday mornings but, but i probably should bring that back maybe uh maybe next week because again i'm busy this weekend but looking at back at this here we did we did okay in October. You know, we got our we got four shows out, five shows out in October. That was pretty good. September we came out hot, and, and that was good. And now we're in November, and uh, here we are on uh, on November seventh. And uh, I do believe this will be the second show of November. Not that anyone really cares or that this matters at all. I just like to admit, you know, it's hard. You know, it's week nine. But as you can see, Brian, I'm taking the challenge to get progressively cozier as we get deeper and deeper into the season. I'm blanketed up. I have my pile of pillows. I readjusted my television. I will be putting on some abs, devils, as I edit this and get it up later tonight. But first off, a very important question. How are you? I, I'm doing great. Uh, you mentioned uh, the hobby horse aspect of this and uh it really is you know i i think this is the fun part about it doing this podcast with you is it is just a hobby you know and and we're not here to always make sure that that everybody hears our thoughts on everything and and uh i think that's good for me <laughs> uh because it allows me to just disconnect and enjoy things and and i can watch on sundays and uh you know meddle with my fantasy team and not have to worry about angles or narratives or storylines or things like that. And we can just have fun. And that, that to me is, is what sports is supposed to be about. I think it's part of, you know, what's been lost over, uh, over time is that sports are fun. Um, mostly because a lot of times the, the fun part about sports for fans, uh, is covered up by ticket costs and all that kind of stuff uh losses losses are not fun uh holdouts are not fun there's a lot of not fun stuff when you're a fan and so when you can just sit back and enjoy football for what it is especially uh the nfl i think just makes it that much more pleasant to talk about so glad that we can be here and doing this absolutely here we are it is now what now week 10 uh in in uh in the pros week 11 in college wait is that right is it week 11 in college correct that wow that's crazy um we're almost there in college man like there's not much time left here 
yeah, you'll you'll go through week fifteen. So you've got about five more weeks, four more weeks. But like the real games, like the the big time games, there's only like two more weeks. There's only like three more weeks three. of this. Yeah. yeah, three more. Yeah, yeah. So you'll 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 see three more weeks of of very important matchups starting with this week and and then uh you know thanksgiving is always a pretty critical point and then you'll after thanksgiving you move into conference championships and then uh you know the nice part about week 15 is it's just a a tradition like any other army versus navy um uh, i don't know i don't know what the casual public's enjoyment of that is uh for a football sicko like me it's always fun to watch triple o versus triple o Facts. Yeah, and then we get into bowl season. Well, for the, the true sickos out there, plenty of I um, feel like bowl season almost starts immediately after the regular season ends. It's so there's so many bowls now. Yeah. But guess what? Not enough bowls for James Madison to go to one. Yeah, that sucks. That's truly one of the more stupid things uh out there right now is is that whole scenario, which I still don't fully understand. They, didn't they serve that probation period last year? Why does it so exist this year? Uh, this is their first year as an actual FBS program playing in a conference. So, but, but weren't they an FBS program last year? No. Oh, so they were just dominant last year too. Oh, yeah. last year they didn't. Last year they win. They didn't. They win the FCS. Yeah, but I thought they played some FBS schools for some reason. I'm sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate for our good friends at James Madison. But hey, I I saw I didn't want I I went to the RSL game last night. But did you see their basketball team beat Michigan State, who is uh, a projected like Final Four team? So that their soccer team also beat the number one team in the country as well. Athletics juggernaut James Madison. University, go uh, go go Cougs. Uh, all right. Here's how we're gonna do this. It's week eleven in college. It's week ten in the NFL. So, I thought I want to ask you some questions about college football. I want to know what questions you'd ask me about the NFL. So we're gonna go back and forth. We're gonna ask five questions to each of us about. Football being played in America right now, college football and the NFL. I will start with this very simple question for you about college football. I need to amend something. Sorry. What? What was that? You had me digging. You had you have me digging. It's a two-year period for James Madison. They did complete the first year. That's why they're appealing for year two to be allowed to compete. Um, but for some reason, it has to be two years. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, strange. Hmm. Uh, college football. Is Alabama going to sneak into this thing? Into this thing, meaning the SEC championship? And potentially the college football playoff because, damn, man, it feels like over the past three weeks they've found that thing where they're like, oh, yeah, 
we're Alabama and we're just going to be able to dominate you. And their defense has started to show up. The offense has kind of figured some stuff out. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're coached by one of the best coaches in the nation. We're a great program. And despite some early season slip ups, like really since that USF game, they've pretty much dominated everyone they've come across. And it it just kind of feels to me like, uh, look out, like Alabama, Georgia in, in the SEC championship. I like Georgia a lot and we'll get to Georgia later. That's, that's another one of what my questions for you, but man, Alabama, I, I just feel like they are playing very, very good football right now. I think I think there are two two facets to that, right? I think defensively they put things together a little bit more. I think offensively they found what works for them. Are they a great offensive football team? No. Is Jalen Milrow a great quarterback? No, but they figured out what works, right? Run and let him throw deep. He's developed a connection with I believe Baxter's the wide receiver, right? I think some of what we're looking at is just like they've run through you know, you mentioned they haven't that they've been steadily improving since South Florida. The only real, and this is crazy to say, but the only real fierce opponent that they've played during that stretch is Ole Miss, right? You could argue that Texas A&M was one, but like close win over Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, not up to snuff this year. LSU, I think that one was close until Jaden Daniels went out. If if I were a betting man, would I bet on Alabama being there at the end of it all for the college football playoff? No. Really? Simply Interesting. Because, yep. Simply because I don't know that you can get in with two losses this year if you're Alabama. Okay. So that assumes you think you they'd lose to Georgia. I think Georgia's good. I don't know if they're that much better than Alabama. That 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 was one of my other questions, and I, this this we can kind of combine two of mine, and I'll I'll figure out something else. But I just feel like, and we can stick with the SEC here. It, it's a, it might really be as simple as maybe Georgia is just still the best team in the country, but there isn't as much of a gap as there used to be. And I still do kind of believe that, but I just feel like if you put Alabama up against Georgia and Georgia's undefeated because Georgia will be undefeated going into that game in Atlanta. And you say, Nick Saban, you have to get your team to be Kirby smarts team for a shot to go to the playoff. Nick Saban's going to get it done. And then Georgia will have one loss and Georgia will get like the four seed and they'll, and they'll, they'll just, or, or the, the three seed or wherever they want to put them. And it'll just kind of lock in with Alabama and Georgia both being in the college football playoff. I think that's a very, I, I think that's very likely to be completely honest with you. I just feel like Alabama has sort of accessed their screw you where Alabama phase. And I, I feel like they're going to keep winning. That's fine. Uh, even if Alabama does win out and beat Georgia, that gives you two one-loss teams from the SEC vying for spots. 
I think the bigger thing is it becomes a math equation, right? Because you have Ohio State that's undefeated. You have Michigan that's undefeated. Florida State that's undefeated. Washington that's undefeated. Oregon that has one loss. So if it, Texas with one loss. Uh, so of all those teams, who deserves to get shuffled up? You're going to say, who's Alabama's one, like their their marquee win is 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 beating Georgia enough. And Georgia, I, I think, is is a difficult sell because their strength of schedule is in the garbage. Now, if you look at it from a non-ranking perspective, from just, you know, a ratings, and I love using SP Plus for this reason, Georgia's still one of the best teams in the country. They're top two uh, behind Michigan. So it's Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, Penn State, Texas, Alabama, Florida State. Those are the top eight. Rounded out with the top ten are Washington and Notre Dame. So, uh, you know, that that the ascension for Alabama, I think this is the thing is we always – they are such a brand, right? And I think we always think that there's this potential for them to go – uh go the distance but i think this is the year where it just it's really going to be hard for them to overcome it because one of those uh, you know the top three michigan georgia ohio state one of those is going to end up with one loss but one of them is going to end up undefeated right um so i i just i think the math of it is just really really hard for alabama uh i don't see anybody beating florida state washington's going to have a good chance to go undefeated too that their schedule is not easy, but their hardest game is going to be likely in the Pac-12 championship against what looks like is going to be an Oregon Ducks rematch in a neutral site. And I mean, even if Oregon does win that one, now all of a sudden you've got both of those teams with one loss. Is there really an argument to put two SEC teams in ahead of those if if Georgia does win that game? So I don't know, man. It's there is this is the part in the season where we always look at it as like, everybody's going to win out. And this is also the part of the season where chaos just blows everything out of the water and teams lose games that they shouldn't. And, and things go haywire. George has got to beat Ole Miss this weekend. Right. And I don't think that's a tall task because I don't think Ole Miss is, is by any means a juggernaut, but they still got to do it. And it's still hard. And, uh, you know, I think it's, just to get back to the root of the question, I don't think Alabama makes it in the CFP, but yeah, I I would not be the one to say like if you're telling me to you know put my life on the line for that, not a chance. I'm not going to bet against Alabama that way. Right, NFL. What you got for me? Who's a sneaky Super Bowl candidate team from the NFC? A sneaky Super Bowl candidate team. From I me, I think there's a pretty clear cut from the NFC. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia, hmm. San Francisco kind of seem like one and two, right? In in terms of the potential NFC teams, but I right. think there may be some sneaky candidates in there too. Yes, let me pull up the standings to help me visualize here. I think to me. Maybe, yes, but I kind of disagree with your premise. I think there's one, and it it's the Detroit Lions. And a lot has to break right for them. They have not won a playoff game in forever. 
but they have a very good defense, a very well-coached offense, and a quarterback who is playing at the best level of his career in, in Jared Goff. So I think if you if you wanted to go sleeper NFC Super Bowl team, you go the Lions. I don't think there are any other teams in the NFC, though, that I think have a shot to be in the Super Bowl. I really feel that way. The New Orleans Saints are heavily overrated. The offense is kind of starting to put it together, but still, it's Derek Carr. I don't trust him at all. And the division is still very much up for grabs. They're only one game ahead of the Falcons uh, at this point. And Taylor Heineke, although he's an up-and-down quarterback, he can fight his way back in. And New Orleans could very easily lose to the Falcons. Um, I think you could have said the Seahawks a few weeks ago, but it's this year it's the Geno coaster. I mean, Geno has always been a very up and down quarterback and he started the year very hot, but over the past three weeks, he has not played very good football and their offense has really struggled. The run game has kind of completely disappeared and, and they're just having a hard, they have a hard time keeping up with really good teams. You see that by the fact that the Ravens just kind of dominated them this week. Do you think there are any sneaky NFC Super Bowl contenders? Because I don't. I think one thing that has emerged from NFL talking heads this week that I vehemently disagree with is this idea that the Philadelphia Eagles are somehow this fraudulent team just because the Cowboys played a close game with them no that that is not how that works Jalen Hurts is playing excellent football right now they have maybe the best wide receiver in the league in A.J. Brown they won that game again as the Dallas Cowboys because their pass rush showed up when it needed to in the clutch and it has again been the deepest and best defensive line in the entire NFL and I don't care if they're winning close games I don't care if they have to come back sometimes. I don't care if they don't look like world beaters. They're eight and one. Good teams just know how to win. And they will get it figured out and they will be there in the end. And if you want to say, well, maybe the San Francisco 49ers will be better, that's fine. But so far they have not. People are forgetting that the Niners are on a three-game losing streak right now. Like that yeah. that that's a thing I have more questions than answers right now for me. If I, I if I'm being honest, a I thing think... that's happening. I'm just against the this idea that the Philadelphia Eagles are somehow not the runaway favorite here. They should be. They yeah, and they San Francisco are going to be playing in the NFC title game. That is how this is going to go. No one else will challenge them. Maybe the Detroit Lions, but that's it. I think the Lions had the most potential in terms of just depth and talent right they're just uh young inexperienced and and i don't know how much that really factors into the playoff hunt i do think that seattle is interesting to me because you mentioned the fact the run games disappeared some of that has coincided with kenneth walker being injured right um and and you know gino is a bit of a roller coaster but i do think the acquisition of leonard williams at the deadline was pretty big deal and they're also five and three. Uh, and if if you're pointing out the fact that they lost to the Ravens, that was a East Coast trip, 
right? Early morning game. So that's a real early, early riser, early rising affair for the Seahawks. Um, so I can understand that one to a degree. But if your one loss is to the third best team by 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 record in the NFL right now, doesn't that kind of make you like on on the edge there? I guess. But if you look at the schedule, those those five wins, like their most impressive win is a week two shootout with the Lions. Like that that is the most impressive win they have. They lost to the Bengals when the Bengals offense was not clicking. They lost to the, like they're losing to the and, and you know the Rams the lost Browns, like which like I get it. The Browns offensively are not that good, but to put twenty four points up on that Browns defense. I I guess. I mean, they don't really get tested until the stretch run, but I mean, we'll we'll find out a lot in the next four weeks. Commanders, Rams, Niners, Cowboys. Like, Mm -hmm. it. there are some good teams there, and for as much as people like to clown the Cowboys, that game is in Dallas. That will be a big game in the NFC, and if the Seahawks are for real, they should go win that game. But we're a long way away from that, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm Fine. still, I, 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 I like for roster. I have been a Seahawks guy throughout the. I was a Seahawks guy throughout the offseason, but it, it isn't clicking for me yet, and I, I, I want to see more. I'm not, I'm not quite fully sold yet. I like that. I'll take that. Yeah. All right. The Big Ten. <laughs> Michigan gets tested this week. Really Notice. for the really for the first time all year. Let's throw let's throw out the off field stuff. We're kind of past that as a nation. Uh Penn State is playing at home. They should have a home field advantage. It is an early game. It's not not quite late night, white out material but I just want to ask you does Penn State stand a chance here because as much as like Michigan's the villain right now and everyone wants them to lose I don't really think Penn State stands any chance like I think Michigan's lines in particular are just bigger and badder than most everyone in that conference. And I think they're going to kind of dominate Penn State and make a statement on Saturday. There's a There's a few things about Penn State that that I side into the mic on purpose because I think there's a few things about Penn State that limit them from really being the world beater or, or the upset specialist that we kind of hope that they might be, right? Number one, their offensive line has not come together the way that I think most people expected it to. And some of that is, you know, you've got a what was a potential first-round pick at, at tackle in uh, – I'm trying to remember his name uh, – Fashanu, who, who's not really played up to his potential – and so that's that's hurt them a little bit. That the entire group should have come together much better than they have. Um, 
the other part of it too is is Drew Aller is just not there yet, right? As a quarterback, and uh, I think JJ McCarthy is playing much better than Drew Aller is, but but it it really comes down to that Michigan defense. They are tenacious as all get out, and they're just steamrolling teams. And I just don't, I I don't, you know, as as good as Manny Diaz has become as a defensive coordinator, um, you know, like. They they went toe to toe against Ohio State and Ohio State offensively is nothing to be parading about, and that was a 2012 shutout and it just felt like Penn State was just hanging in there or not not shutout but shootout. Uh, it felt like Penn State was just hanging around in that game, trying to stay stay on you know <laughs> stay relevant for as long as they could, and and then Ohio State eventually just surpassed them. So I don't. I don't see that happening, um, especially not at home. People wanting to make Michigan the the villains. Uh, it feels very – this whole sign-stealing thing feels so manufactured. And I think some of it is just people hate Jim Harbaugh, and that's fine. Uh, the whole sign-stealing thing, like Michigan coming out and saying, like, oh, like, what a, what a shocker. All the Big Ten coaches want something done to Michigan. They want the 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 best team in the conference to be benched towards right. the end of the season. Yeah. Who could have predicted that? Like, who would? How did they? How did they get all these people on the same page for that? I I can't I can't imagine that any coach out there who has bonuses and potential to improve their program from or would benefit from Michigan getting knocked down from that pedestal. I can't imagine that they would be in favor of some sort of a suspension. You know, so I think that's the part. It is fascinating to me the narratives that have come out of this because it seems like what coaches said publicly about the sign stealing were was all for the most part like eh, it happens, and then all of a sudden, like like behind the scenes, you started hearing different leaks and and different conversations and all this kind of stuff. So I think all that is much ado about nothing. I think Michigan's little reveal today about having documents proving that Ohio State, Purdue, and whoever else had sign stealing stuff is just like hey well if you want to burn this house down let's let's do it like we'll grab a torch and that's going to quell a lot of the chatter behind it but at the end of the day it reminds me of a favorite sabinism the media is just spreading rat poison yeah all over the place for michigan yeah they are gobbling it up yeah, rat poison out there for Penn State. Yeah, so I, 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 I just, I don't see Michigan stopping. I don't, I don't see them breaking for anything. I think this is, and you want to talk about Kyle Woodingham being great with his back, back up against the wall. Jim Harbaugh might be the best. Yeah, I kind of think we're heading for a pretty anticlimactic Big Ten ending because I think Michigan's gonna bully Penn State this week, I think there's a very, very high chance that we get to that, to the game on November 25th, and they just air it out, and Ohio State, for as good as that defense is, can't keep up, and Michigan puts like 30 on them, and Ohio State just doesn't have the offensive dogs outside of one guy to keep up with that. Like, I, I kind of think that we're just hurtling towards an undefeated Michigan season where they B 
beat the shit out of some poor like Wisconsin in Indianapolis in about three weeks. So uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think, I think for as much as people are want to see them lose right now, I don't think they will. I think they are outside of Georgia, maybe the biggest baddest team in the country. That's just kind of the way I feel. I, I I think you're right on pulse with everybody else, and it's, 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 it's as good as as good as you can get um, in terms of not having crossover games or anything like that. Prove otherwise. Yeah, and, and we'll see. It it is fair to say that they kind of bullied their way last year, and then TCU got them in the in the playoff. So you never know. They still have to win in the playoff. That's a big thing that that hangs over their head. But like regular season, I just don't see anyone competing Kyle McCord's just not that good like he's just not he's just he is just not that good um okay NFL where should Josh Dobbs play next year oh where should Josh Dobbs play next year I know this is jumping ahead but I think look we all agree that Josh Dobbs did something that yeah no Josh Dobbs is fun as hell yeah, like like this will be one of those annals that we'll remember. It's kind of like the, uh, it's the nothing like. There's no real accomplishment or real trophy for what he did, other than just like you don't see that happen. It's incredible. I don't know that it really moves the stock that much, but it does make him valuable, right? And I think yeah, oh yeah, no doubt. It's nice. I I feel like this year in the NFL, one of the underrated storylines. Let me let me just paint this underrated storyline for you here, uh, Brian. Underrated storyline in the NFL. This year, we found our journeyman quarterbacks. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick is 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 retired now. Like you know the guys that we've known and loved for years and years are Colt McCoy's kind of out of the league at this point. The surefire backups. Like, I think we've got our guys that will come in. They will start at least five or seven games every year. One year, they might give us some fun as hell years. Let me just run you through how many great journeyman quarterbacks we have right now in the NFL. One, Taylor Heineke. I think Taylor Heineke is going to do some stuff in Atlanta with the weapons he has. That game was incredible to watch, by the way. Taylor Heineke played a really good game for the most part and just got beat by Josh Dobbs. Two is Josh Dobbs, who's been all over the place. He will probably end up starting somewhere next year if he continues to play well. That's solid as well. I think that he's another guy. I think Sam Howe, you could put into that category i know washington fans would say well we think he's our guy but in in two years he'll probably be on a different roster but he's going to be challenging for a a a spot to play and baker mayfield uh, who is having an unreal season baker has played a really really good season this year and put up some some pretty decent numbers they don't really exist in the AFC. The AFC quarterbacks are kind of locked down, as it were, right now. A guy to watch in the AFC, maybe Aiden O'Connell. We'll see how he plays the the second half of his year. But it does feel like we have our journeyman quarterbacks for the next few years. 
Do you have a favorite of those? Dobbs makes some good throws sometimes. I do like him, but man, I've always been a Baker guy and I will remain a Baker guy. I love Baker too. In in, in that like lost in the fact that CJ Stroud tore up Todd Bowles' defense, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, is the fact that was maybe Baker Mayfield's best game of the season. He was incredible against the Texans defense. And he's done that a few times this year. They slowed down for a little bit. It looks like they're getting back on track. They're going to be in the mix for the division still. And are they going to keep Baker around when they end up being, you know, a six-win team and they're in the mix to draft a guy? No, probably not. So I'm I'm just excited for wherever Baker ends up next. I feel like he is the one... He's the guy that takes the Fitzmagic label officially because he can be kind of he's not bad enough to keep on your bench for an entire season, which was kind of the career arc of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And occasionally he'll do some pretty cool shit, which was also a core tenant of Ryan Fitzpatrick's career. So. And he's just a cool dude. He's got the moxie and yeah, I. I the like Fitz magic game, right? The potential to come out and be like, whoa, we threw for how many touchdowns? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I like you'll like- never be shocked if you open up a box score on a random Sunday and you see Baker Mayfield 379 yards, four touchdowns. You'll be like, oh, he's good for like three of those a year. Yeah. And I also think he's a great guy to bring in if you have a young quarterback that that isn't maybe ready to go right now. Uh like I think. Minshew is 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 getting on that level now too. I think he's, you know, Minshew's kind of regressed. Minshew's well, he like, has it with the Colts, right? But I think some of it is just who he's playing for. Now. I don't know. I don't know. He he kind of regressed when he was the Eagles' backup too. Like, Gardner Minshew hasn't done anything really impressive in like two and a half years. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's he's, he's the just Cowboys. A, no, he's just a backup. He's just a backup. Okay. Baker's got the Fitzmagic stuff. Because Fitzmagic, the thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick is basically every team he went for, you could justify him starting most of the season. You cannot do that with Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is very much a backup quarterback that should not be starting unless your starter is injured. So that's that's why I go with Baker there. Dobbs might have the potential to be that, but let's see how the rest of this season plays out. The sample size is pretty small still with Josh Dobbs. He sure has made a big splash, though, doing what he's done. Yeah, yeah. Fun guy, too. Seems like a nice guy. Very likable. Very likable, yeah. Um. Okay. We get to it now. A conversation topic near and dear to our hearts. Is this it, Brian? Because this feels like it to me. Is this officially Pac-12 Cannibalization Week? Because I feel like this is the week. Uh, I would say it would have started last week had USC won, right? Um, But yeah, I think... Well, and here's... Because, like, I, I, I know we're Utah fans, but, like... I think there's a better than – I think there's a 50-50 shot Utah beats Washington in Washington. Like, 
I, I think that's a possibility. And I think there's a possibility that Lincoln Riley comes out pissed off with a point to prove and Caleb Williams and the superior USC weapons just out shoot out Oregon. Like I think both those things have a very distinct possibility of happening this week. So with the Utah game, Utah is a nine and a half point favorite, which feels about right. Um, Washington. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, or, or, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Underdog. Utah's the underdog. Um, FPI gives them a 70% gives Washington a 70% chance of winning. I would probably knock that down to about 60, 40 uh, or even 65, 35, just because I think <clears throat> I think Utah has found something offensively that that will that that has started the curve in a different direction, and so all the predictive metrics have not had a chance to get caught up to it. Right? Uh, I don't think everything you saw against Arizona State was. Um, let me put it this way: I think some of what you saw against Arizona State was fool's gold because you had a program that basically knew they couldn't score any points and Utah more or less took advantage of that. I think being on the road in Seattle is going to be brutally tough. Yep. Um, Very hard. So I think that really, but really what, what, what you're looking at is less about for true PAC 12 cannibalism. It's about eating slowly eating the middle of the pack down to where like, you know, I think you're seeing it with Washington state, right. Where they've lost what three of the last four, um, or is it four of the last five? I can't, I can't remember. Um, but they're a team that like, you know, was, was part of this upper crust that everybody thought was so great. And then now that they've been dragged down, I think that hurts a lot. Right. Uh, Stanford could absolutely, go into Corvallis and get a win there. If that happens, that's a big problem. Uh, UCLA losing to Arizona was a big shift. Uh, uh, I think one of those two teams needed to finish up high in the conference standings. Uh, The fact that it's going to be Arizona now, I think Arizona is still a good football team, but uh, you could almost argue that like the the beginnings of it started last week. Listen, uh I, I know that the shine's born off Dion, but like that game's in Boulder. And Shadur Sanders has played really well still this year. Like Yeah, and it's a 12 p.m. kick, right? So anything could happen. Arizona's then, not safe. No, no, they're not. And and that's like I mean, this is this is also where it could be the aggression to the mean game for Arizona, right? I think that Arizona's roster is more talented and better developed than Colorado's. I also think there is a coaching edge to Jed Fish over Colorado. Um, but I think some of that is just Dion learning what life in the Pac-12 is like, where you can't just make a one-week correction, and because you have more talent than everybody else, it shows up in the box score. You're actually not the best team in the world playing in the Pac-12 with the talent that you have, and that's more or less what he had, you know, when he was at, at was it Jackson State that he was at? Yeah. Um, um, 
and so I think that you know that makes a big difference in in terms of how you coach, the way you can approach things. And he's learning the hard way. We kind of talked about this a little bit at one point in time that you knew that something like this was going to happen. Now that being said, Colorado is a team where if they do get it together on a week, look out, right? Cause you're in a dog fight. And, and I mean that like, you know, airplane dog fight where it's fast back and forth, you know, too close for missiles, switching the guns kinds of thing where, where there's a lot of action going on. Um, because that's what Colorado can do best. And I am not sure how I feel about Arizona secondary against Colorado. So all this is to say that, yes, I think this is, I think last week was really kind of the, the appetizer. I think we're getting to the, the first, first course. Yeah. First course, second course next week. And uh, let, let me tell you why I said that stuff about Alabama earlier. I don't think either Washington or Oregon is making it out of this season without two losses. That's just because a certain team in Corvallis exists (laughs) and uh, Washington goes there. And uh, I got to check the schedule. Oregon does not go there. Washington goes there and Oregon state. uh, I don't know if you heard this off season, they kind of got screwed. Like, they have a coach that's very good that's probably going to, like, use a little Kyle Whittingham, like, look, nobody believes in us. Like, I think the Pac-12 is going to be extremely weird down the stretch. I don't know who's going to play in the title game, to be completely honest with you. Like, could be Utah, could be Oregon State. If, if enough funky shit happens... And they kind of get the season back on track. USC with three losses. I'm not rolling them out at this point. Like if you have at this point by this week, if you have three losses or left or less, I think you have a shot at playing in the Pac-12 title game. Like that's how weird I think this is going to get. I agree. This week is the week where you really find out just how weird things are going to get. Right. Yeah. So if this, for example, if Utah does go up and pull the upset on the road at Washington, now all of a sudden it's real it's it's heavy let's get weird season because those are teams that really can't afford losses washington can't afford a loss oregon can't afford a loss uh but now all of a sudden that drags them into the tiebreakers do they lose confidence a little bit as they go into what, what i think you're talking about is the meat of the schedule and and look do i think washington state stands a chance against washington not particularly but stranger things have happened uh, and you know that they may get to the end of the season and, and feel like that is their bowl game and that that is their opportunity to really go out and, and fight and win the best way that they know how. Uh, but the week before that, Washington's got to go on the road at, at Oregon State, and who knows what happens in either of those games, right? Uh, yeah, I'm telling you, that's but by, by the time this is over, the team that's going to ruin this for the Pac 12 is Oregon State, it's not going to be Utah. Utah's probably going to lose to Washington. And, and and finish this season with three or four losses. But I'm telling you, Brian, I just think Oregon, like, if they can survive Stanford this week, I think Oregon State's got a really good shot to end up in the Pac-12 title game. I really do. Things, two things that play in your favor for that is that Oregon State gets their tough game at home with Washington, right? Yeah. Then the next game is a Friday night game, which traditionally has spelled 
some sort of disaster. Now they're the road team on a Friday night, but it's at Oregon. So, I mean, it, it, like if you're asking me to put up a fight against that, I can't. Um, especially because right now, like Oregon State still has bragging rights and and you know all that stuff against Oregon. Now, it is a different Oregon team than last year. Just not not just in in personnel, but also. I think the edge with which Oregon is playing is 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 razor razor sharp, but I, at the same team at the same time, like they they got two they got two tough weeks, and and that uh, it sounds silly because I know what Utah just did to Arizona State, but that road game for Oregon at Arizona State the week before, if I'm an Oregon fan, I am absolutely peeing my pants in fear with that one because that's the one where you feel like it should end up going in your favor right and it could all go haywire and it has in the past so look i know arizona state's two and seven one and five in the pac 12 i get all that but i'm just saying night games on the road in arizona not in favor of the ducks in the past yeah we're learning a lot about dan Lanning. Over the next few weeks, if he's as good as I think he is, uh, we'll find out. You know, we'll, we'll see how good he is. Come uh, what is it, December third? Yeah, December second. I love Dan Lanning; he's my guy. But like, we're gonna find out how good he is pretty quick. Yes, sir. and it and it starts this week. Thank All right, you. NFL. Uh, who's to blame for the Jets? Uh, a front office that drafted Zach Wilson second overall and then went into this season with the plan of Aaron Rodgers and just really doubled down on a terrible bet that they lost last year. Like, they, they, they just did a terrible job not only of evaluating Zach Wilson out of college, which – they can't really be blamed for it. it. Was a COVID year. He looked very good the the year he had at BYU before he came out. But the fact they were so bad at self evaluating him, the fact they take thought he'd take a massive step forward, and maybe he has. He hasn't been awful in every game, but like, I don't know. I liked Joe Douglas coming into the season a lot. I like Joe Douglas a lot less right now. And if things really go haywire and they don't get Aaron Rodgers back and they end up with a losing record, I do think there's a chance that Woody Johnson gets impatient and potentially cleans house, which I disagree with. I don't think Robert Sala... I feel like Robert Sala, although he keeps backing up Zach Wilson, he doesn't really have any other choice. I feel like he got an incredibly bad hand that's just the way i feel i can't believe that joe douglas as good as he is both as a scout and a gm went into this season with the offensive line that they have yeah yeah they, they that, made, me, that was the other thing they made a huge bet on mckay back then and it just did not pay off at all no and and i think the thing about even the mckay back stuff like where are the veterans behind there Right, like the whole entire room is just vacant, you know. Uh, like I don't. Well, I, part of just, that's been injuries. 
I, I get that, but like th- there's no veteran presence on that roster, right? In, in in terms of guys who have been in the in the stuff before and 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 can anchor an offensive line room. It just there's not in a you know there wasn't really a guy there to mentor Becton. You know, like I'm looking at well, Dwayne Brown, I guess that one I should I should somewhat amend. Um, you know, but the same thing with Elijah, yeah. Elijah Vera Tucker has been hurt. Uh, Tomlinson's okay. Saffold, yeah, that's the one that I think I, I was forgetting about, and that's the one that really, I think, really hurts because right? he's out injured too, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they're su- I, I kind of don't blame. He did the best he could with the offensive line, but they just they have been chronically hurt there for the past three years, really. Yeah, and that's a big problem. Um, I, I, maybe some of it is, I, I feel like they could have done something more to solidify the situation. And maybe that's just me. Um, whether it was at the, at the deadline, whether it was in camp, yeah. you know, I, I think some of these things that, that, that flagged up on them in terms of the injury stuff and everything else, it's not like it snuck up on them, you know? Uh, well, I will say it did kind of sneak up on them. Like they didn't know Aaron Rodgers was going to tear his Achilles four plays into the season. That is true. Like that, that, and that's why they didn't trade for anyone at the deadline. Brian is because they traded a ton of assets. Like I know it's only a first and a second at this point, but like that's a lot to give up for Aaron Rodgers. They they mortgaged a lot on this season being the year and it just didn't work out and it puts them in a really tough position for next year and even if Aaron Rodgers does somehow come back this year which by the way if he does he's going to get re-injured because I don't understand how you can come back from an Achilles in like 10 weeks but uh, but that's a legitimate thing uh, there are treatments and methods that happen. So if you look at the correlation between uh, Achilles injuries and like the EPL and, and Bundesliga and all these soccer leagues, the, the return time for an Achilles is substantially faster than it is here in America. And some of it is just, hey, when we talk about Germany, what it is, is it's, it's the difference between the FDA having proved certain types of machinery and, and uh, recovery equipment versus not right and and so i don't want to make make it sound like there's some sort of mystique or anything behind it but that that's neither here nor there the deutsch yeah Very well much. our fda is is not the not the best thing concurrent when it comes to uh approving certain things that maybe don't have i don't know i don't want to get into politics and stuff like that but i'll just say whoever it is that's 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 operating that stuff over in germany um yeah, it's it's portable enough to where I would not be surprised, you know, if if that was something that maybe comes out uh, in the off season. Hmm. Very interesting. All right, let us continue our conversation here uh, with, I believe, what will be my. Fourth question. At this point, 
Pac-12, obviously we've talked about it, could be a weird finish. At this point, who's going to win the Big 12? Uh, I think you want me to say Texas. I don't want you to say anything. I'm I'm curious. I think I want to say Texas. Um, didn't look like Texas really. They that game was concerning. I know that they're missing Quinn Ewers, but like they they had, they had Kansas bigger problems State, than just your quarterback there. Yeah, they had Kansas State kind of in the bag in the first half, and. They let them back into that big time, and if they blew a big lead, I, I, I am concerned about Texas. I don't think they survive what's left without a loss at some point. I, the good I, news I, is that the team behind them, Kansas, uh, they've already beaten. Yes, true. You know, um, and Oklahoma has two losses, so I think. The likelihood of Texas escaping, and and now Texas has to play TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, right? So those are three very winnable games for for Texas. Uh, By the way, Oklahoma could very easily lose again this week. Yeah, there's a I, potential. I don't think they're very good. I think they got extremely lucky with a weak early schedule. And they kind of fluked their way into that win against Texas. I don't think they're very good. I think I what think... you saw, yeah, I, I think there's, I think what you saw was a legendary performance from Dylan Gabriel on the part of Oklahoma. I think you saw some of the flaws that Texas is still dealing with. Um, but also, that's a that that is a prototypical Red River shootout if I've ever seen one. And and um, you know, I think. It is really hard to win football games on a week-to-week basis, and I know that's such a dumb analysis because, like, no kidding. Um, but but the, it's it's so much of it what you can control, but the, the stuff that you can't control that really does have to bounce in your favor, and it felt like there were moments throughout that game against Oklahoma where it got away from Texas, where the stuff that needed to go in their favor started to bounce in favor of Oklahoma. And once that starts to happen, good luck. You know what I mean? Because there's there's that I don't you can call it momentum, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but once it starts to get away from you, it's real hard to wrap your arms back around it and bring it back in. And I felt like that happened to them a little bit. The other thing too is Texas is always going to suffer from their arrogance because we're Texas, we're the best. Everybody's giving us their best shot. And on the weeks where they don't bring it and and really put the I think that's the most one of the more underrated aspects of, of Nick Saban as a coach is his ability to make those Alabama teams compete the way that they have week in and week out. Yeah. I think it's part of why like you're seeing Kirby smarts teams at, at Georgia were just so loaded with talent in the past two years. And now that the talent isn't as deep as it once was, you're seeing how hard it is to win on a week to week basis basis when you've got the target on your back. Right. Right. They're still uh, doing it, though. Credit to them. Yeah, and, and this is his third year of, of really getting it done. Saban's been doing this for over a decade. Yeah. And we we honestly started the podcast out with, can Nick Saban do this again in year whatever 15 of this? And and so, you know, whatever. I understand why Urban Meyer said what he said about Kyle Whittingham, and I'm not going to disagree because I think Whittingham's done things that people in Utah do not understand how 
far outside of Utah's weight class, they really do punch, not just in terms of you know, the, the, the amount of, of stuff that they get from recruits, you know, from, from mid-level recruits, uh, but also just in terms of how they maximize a tiny, tiny budget. Like Utah's at $95 million in that uh, athletic department. Texas is three times that. Yeah. So like if you're being the team that year in and year out is, is outperforming Texas with a third of the budget, that, that's more than just money ball. That's a, that's a, that, that's a miracle. Um, I think NIL is going to even some of that stuff out, but I think NIL is also going to be a bugaboo um, for some of these bigger programs. Cause you know, I think a school like Texas AM is finding out that they can't go out and just buy recruits. They've got to go out and buy talent. And so they're going to start hitting the portal and, and doing things that way to try and get guys in. But you know, money doesn't always buy you culture as USC's found out as well. So all this to say, uh, who wins the big 12? I think it's Texas. Uh, every, all, all, all signs point to Texas. The reality it's probably going to be Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the, the fact that Bear rated higher than Utah in this college football playoff pool? I kind of found that ridiculous. Uh, I understand it. I, I think some of it is just, Utah really shot themselves in the foot metaphorically with the whole rising situation. Yeah, uh, no, I I know, but like, come on now, Oregon State and Oregon are way better losses to have than Texas and uh, who, who's the other loss Kansas has? Oklahoma to, State and Oklahoma State. Like, yeah, well, in Oklahoma State, suddenly is everybody's darling, right? Yeah, in Oklahoma. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, but at the time when they lost Oklahoma State, I don't think Oklahoma State was even ranked, you know? Yeah. So. I just, I, I don't know. I, I Ultimately, does it even matter? No, not at all. But, like, I, I don't know. I have a friend that's a Kansas fan, and he was like, oh, we're ready to hire you. And it's like, well, you you are in a better program. That's I think that's, the one that, that that's like, yeah, I think the one that kind of if just to, to to go back to your point about the college football rankings, I think the one that really gets to me is is Louisville. <laughs> like Louisville is like I get it, but I don't I don't. Yeah, Louisville being up where they're at is just they're not that good. They're not eleven. You know, I I know that they are based on rankings, but yeah. Like, do you really think that in a head-to-head Louisville beats Oregon State? Because I don't. Yeah, no, no chance. Yeah. And so I think, like, like Utah versus – so so this is how I always go through it when I do my rankings for high school stuff. And high school and, and college are very different. I'm not going to try to compare it. But can Utah beat Oklahoma in a head-to-head? Hmm. Yes. Can Utah beat Kansas in a head-to-head? Neutral side. Yes, yes. Can Utah beat Oklahoma State in a head-to-head? Yes. Could they beat Missouri? Mm. Maybe, right? Missouri's but, pretty good. But yeah. I think, I think, I think, well, I think we saw this weekend. Missouri's really good when they play to their potential. Yeah. Beat just about anybody in the country. I think the, the other crime to that is Missouri being behind Tennessee. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Tennessee yeah. has not been very good this year. Yeah, Tennessee at 13 is is a major major overranking i do not understand why we're there with that so uh i think if it were me i'd probably have oregon state at 12 uh you could probably argue missouri at 13 
maybe uh, Oklahoma State at 14 than Utah, right? I think that's fair. Uh, but you're not wrong about, you know, their, their two losses are to Oregon, in which they were trounced. Uh, and I think, understandably, that one probably hit them hard, right? Because Oregon just like – Utah laid a major egg at home. They nor- they rarely do that. But the writing was on the wall for that one simply because of the way they played against USC. Everybody felt like it was, okay, the offense is fixed now. And so they just went back to the – bare bones basics of it and it's just this utah roster the way it's constructed the guys that are out there you cannot just go back to what you always do it's not going to be a one-week fix it is going to be week to week you've got to roll out the you know the the artillery and really fire everything you have and i think they're finally getting that offensively so uh that is a very long-winded answer but yeah i i mean this is why college football is just the best, though. Right? Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to argue about stupid stuff that doesn't really matter. Like, who gives a shit the the fact that like we're all going to be so satisfied no matter what the outcome is, unless your team. Gets yeah, started. like it's it's we're arguing like eleven versus thirteen. It doesn't matter. We're playing in like the outback explorable. Like, let's let's not. It's not really overcomplicate things here. Um, all right, NFL. How many more do you have? Uh, I've got, I believe, two more questions, but we can okay. kind of condense some of these. Okay. Um, I've only got one more, so we, we can do. Uh, yeah. So we we let's. This let's one's an easy one. Yeah. What's let's... a rule change that you'd like to see made? A rule change. Yeah, I I've I, I have been a fan of uh that XFL rule that they had a few years ago. I like the 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 play like instead of onside kick, fourth and fifteen play. Yeah. Uh that from like your own let's say forty yard from your own forty yard line. That way, if the other team recovers it, that's basically where an onside kick ends up most of the time. Like, on your own 40-yard line, 4th and 15, if you pick it up, you get the ball back. Where you get the ball. And uh, I think that would be cool and fun and lead to a lot of comebacks and would fundamentally change the way the sport is played. So that would be cool. I'd like that. I would like to see one. I'd like to see the emergency quarterback brought into play on the roster, but I'd also like to see game day rosters be expanded to 65. Let the practice squad guys dress. Mm-hmm. Is it really that big of a deal? So I, anyway, but yeah, I'm with you on the, uh, the XFL rule change. Um, I also like the XFL's kickoff quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be this new uh, merger might lead to a lot more of that kind of developmental stuff. So, last question. Last question. Give me three Power Five coaches, and uh, the more high profile, the better that are truly on the hot seat coming down the stretch. I profile. 
Like, what are going to be the three most attractive job openings when we get to the coaching carousel? Um, man, that's interesting. Because I think, like, all the teams in the top 25, if you look at it, are teams that pretty much should be there, right? Uh, I think there's got to be a few teams that I'm not thinking of, but like Missouri, they're not going to make a change, right? Like no. Drinkwitz, uh, Cincinnati. I, I'll, I'll give you that one's hands down. That one's going to go. You know, um, go up. I think. Uh, I think South Carolina is one to watch. Um, I don't think USC is quite to to hot seat levels. Oh, I did not think USC at all. To be completely honest with you, they simply. But here's here's and here's where I think a lot of this, um gets messy because who wants to make a coaching change going into a new conference right yeah so with so many of these teams making changes um you know miami i think is one of those gigs where it's just like how much more leash can you give crystal ball at this point in time right uh baylor that's the one yeah, Dave Aranda has had a tough year. A tough year. Yep. Obviously, Michigan State, that one's already open, um, more or less. Uh, Northwestern, that one's open, more or less. It's this is, I don't think that we're going to see as much action in terms of coaches getting fired as much as we're going to see some carousel in terms of guys leaving jobs to go to other jobs. Uh, the big one I think that really gets curious is what do you do with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M? Yep, always about to bring that up. And I think that one is curious because is the buyout's massive. It's just like massive. There's no other way around. It. Is there yep. a difference between seventy million this year and sixty million next year? Because I don't think he's going to flip it around in a year, right? Yeah, I don't think so either. So I don't think he's very good at his job. That's my my kind of takeaway. I think we're seeing uh Jimbo's very good at getting people to believe things that maybe aren't necessarily the case. And I think he capitalized on that at Florida State long enough to get himself to Texas A and M get that paycheck. So and I think the other thing too is like we see this every single year where the game starts to pass certain coaches by. I think Babo is getting caught in that cycle right now. Like you're you're at a crossroads, buddy, and hopefully somebody close to him says tells him the truth that you don't go through the portal and you don't start doing things the way that everybody else is doing it. You're going to get left behind. I think Dabo's going to figure that out. Personally, I do too. I think I, mean, I I think that this is. I think he's going to come out of this. I think. Saturday was massive for them. The fact they beat Notre Dame, that is a massive win for that program. 
they're going to get to seven, eight wins. And he's going to walk out of his season and say, okay, I tried this my way. It doesn't work. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go use God's name, image, and likeness to go raid the transfer portal and get a bunch of experienced guys and get another elite quarterback. And Clemson will be back in about a year. That That is how I think this will go. I, I think Dabo is, for as much of a cult leader and a weird dude as he is, like uh, I think he's smart as hell and a really good football coach. So I think he'll figure it out. He's He's an acquired taste for sure. I think excuse me, I think the best <laughs> the best description I've ever heard of Dabo is uh, a shutdown full cast. Shout out to the shutdown full cast. I believe it was Spencer Hall said this. Uh, there's something about Dabo that we can all relate to. <laughs> and whether you like him or not, there's something that we can all identify with in, with Dabo, right? Uh, you know, he like he was one of those guys that when he dropped the BYOG, bring your own guts. Okay. I can identify to that, but yeah, he, uh, for, for the Bible thumping and, and all that kind of stuff, he is a unique brand, but the South is a unique place. And, and I think that plays in a lot of households down there. Um, I just think like if the real question becomes, if Texas A&M does decide to pull the ripcord on this one and, and fire Jimbo, who do they go after? And is that a move that Dabo would I don't know. I feel like Davo's pretty separate life. I like, I felt I felt like for a long time the only other job that he would leave Clemson for would be Alabama. But you may be right. I don't know. I'm gonna say something mean. Is Texas AM really the same level as Alabama? Like, come on. Like let's let's be honest here. And I have to apologize. I've actually met so I have a new friend who is a huge Texas A&M fan, but, like, come on, let's be honest. Prestige-wise, Texas A&M is, like, maybe the fifth most important team in the SEC. Like, let's let's just, like, calm way down on the importance of Texas A&M in the landscape of college football. The problem with that is the billion dollars of alumni donations towards yes. Texas A&M that want to argue with you on that. And I'm not, that's not me, but that is that Aggie fan base saying we are relevant. Look at where we're relevant. We're relevant everywhere. Um, and I think this is, this is the problem with Texas A&M is that they think they belong on a certain level. And I don't know that they are able to lower. Exp I think this is, this is what's eaten away at Florida as well. Uh, like I think Billy Napier is on a better track than maybe people think he is. Um, Whoa. is Did you say that sentence? Did I hear that right? Yeah. I think he's been a Sunbelt coach for most of the year. Well, like, so. <clears throat> let me, he's let got me, like maybe two good wins this year. Maybe. Like, Maybe that would be different if if things hadn't gone the way they had with Jaden Rashada, right? Because I think that's the problem is is they had a critical malfunction with that whole situation. Because if you get one of the top quarterbacks in the country to come there, and now all of a sudden things are more palatable, right? Like, but I think what I'm what I'm saying is that in terms of recruiting, 
he's getting it into the pipeline there. And so I think year three is is where you'll really start to see the emergence. I, is there a program in the country that's turned around in two years? Because everybody thought Colorado was on that trajectory and they've got, what, three wins? Yeah, no, that's totally fair. I'm, um, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just don't think he's a very good coach, Billy Napier, but that's just me, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Dude, I'm telling you, give, give it like, give Dion like two or three years at Colorado to like have a little success. He's going to end up at Florida State of Florida. Like that's where, that's where Dion Sanders is where Dion wants to go. That's what I think. Mm, I don't know. Do you think they'd go after him this year, or do you think? But I don't think I don't think Dion has any desire going back to Florida State. Mm. Maybe Florida, but I think Texas A&M is the destination. I think a lot of it is because that's where he was. That's where he lived. He knows Texas high school football extremely well, and I think he feels like if he got back to that Texas A&M job, ceiling is the roof. Yeah. Do you think they'd go after him this year if they got rid of Jimbo? That's the problem, right? So I think I think those these are the conversations that are likely going on in the background. Is would you be able to leave? Because he's he's got to pay like ten million dollars if he leaves Colorado. So now all of a sudden that factors in to his next contract with Texas A&M, and and you know I, I, as much as uh, Dad was out there campaigning for God's name, image, and likeness, Texas A&M may have more money than God right now in terms of college football. So they could probably pay all of that. I just don't know if if they will. It'll be interesting to see how it all ends up playing out in that retrospect. Give me, I, I do want to get your final NFL question. Give me the top three guys that you think could be on the move to that that you said you think there's going to be some movement this this offseason in the coaching carousel. Ooh, that's a good one. Not top three. Just give me three names. Three names that you're like, yeah, they're going to upgrade where they coach. Hmm. I would say ugh. so this is one that's, that's kind of interesting. I wonder no, I don't I'm, I'm not gonna throw that one in. Um Matt Campbell, I think, is one where I could see that move finally making making sense to him. Because yeah. he's not gonna have much more time. Uh, at Iowa State, and and yeah, they got hit by a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, so this is the hard part about it, right? Because I think some of the names that you look at are are programs like the one that stands out to me, for example, is is Tulane, and uh, unfortunately with Tulane, I I, do, I just don't know. We don't know a ton about Tulane. We do not live in New Orleans. I just don't know that Willie Fritz wants to leave there, right? 
Like, I think that's a place that he really likes. I think they've got something rolling. And I think he knows he can stay there for 10 years. He's been in the coaching game for a long time. He's 63. I just I don't know. I think it's probably fun as hell to be the coach at Tulane. It, I would agree with you 100%. And Willie Fritz is the perfect guy for that. Uh, Mike Elko at Duke is definitely a name that I, I would see. And then uh, Rhett Lashley at SMU. I could see him moving on to something bigger. Um, although SMU going to the ACC, I think, definitely changes the trajectory of that program in the, in the course of that job. Um, you know who else might be ready for that change finally? Who? Mike Gundy. Oh, yeah. It's been a while at Oklahoma State. It has been a long, long time. And I think the uh, construction's finally finished at Gundyland. So uh, he may be ready to move on from and the big 12s getting weak like does he really want to coach in a conference where he's gonna it's gonna be harder to get like i i i buy you on that one now is that a guy texas a&m would be interested in oh man that kind of the same region yeah similar experience He's got Texas A&M vibes. I think the question with Gundy is, is how much will he cooperate with, uh, uh, with boosters because he's had a lot of run-ins in the past with T Boone Pickens who, who really helped build, um, ASU in the early time. Uh, yeah, I, that would be an interesting hire. I just, if I were Texas A&M, I would hesitate on making that move, but you never know. There's a lot, if you're Texas A&M, that would make it a very appealing hire, right? Because nobody's been more successful on a sustained level than Gundy. So, yeah. Man. You really stumped me with that one. That's okay. I mean, a good stump. So, I might have to do some digging with that one. Okay, cool. All right, what what's your last question for me about the NFL? I feel like my last question is not nearly as good as yours is, but how does the AFC finish? How does the AFC finish? Uh, with the Bengals on top. This is their conference to lose, Brian. It, it really is. It really does feel that way. It it really that. is because you survived the weird Joe Burrow has a calf injury and the and offensive line football and, and the offensive line is not gelled and coming together. You, like you survived that. The offensive line looks like what they were advertised to be now. Like the defense is predictably good. Lou Anarumo is going to be a head coach somewhere else next year. I'm very sorry. He will no longer be on your coaching staff. Um, T. Higgins is starting to get more involved. Jamar Chase has been quiet over the past few weeks, but that doesn't matter because Joe Burrow is playing like the best quarterback in the NFL currently. And the Bengals have the best roster in the AFC. It's just, it's not really close. 
The Bills have been decimated by injury on defense, and no one's coming to save them. The Chiefs are fine. It's the best defense of a Patrick Mahomes era for sure. And Patrick Mahomes can go out there all he wants and say, hey, we're going to figure this offense out. Are you, dude? I mean, all you have is Travis Kelsey. Everyone else you have sucks. Rasheed Rice sucks. Like, everyone else on that roster sucks. They should have been way more aggressive at the trade deadline. They needed a weapon. They didn't go out and get one. They brought back McCole Hardman. He hasn't even been a part of the offense. Oh, he's done his fumble football. Over the past two weeks. The Chiefs, we're going to get a bunch of... The media's going to do their whole Patrick Mahomes is a god thing for the next three weeks, for the next five weeks. But when it gets to nut king time and he has to go to Cincinnati... Joe Burrow's going to beat him in the playoffs. And even if Joe Burrow has to go to Arrowhead, Joe Burrow's going to beat him in the playoffs because this is Cincinnati's conference to lose, and their biggest competition might be in their own division with the Ravens, just depending on how you feel about the Ravens because the Ravens' defense is locked down, and suddenly the offense is starting to come together. And if Keaton Mitchell is what he looked like he was when he played this week, that adds a whole nother dynamic. And you start to look at the Ravens as that second team. I'm worried about the Bills. I am. I I, I don't know. Bills are beset by a lot of things, right? Like it's, it's just the injuries. It's the defense they need a great defense because the offense is good it is a good offense like but it's just it's not something's missing and it's not game changing and they, they they're not like the eagles or or the chiefs or the bengal's at this point where those three teams just figure out how to win every single week no matter how the team is playing the Buffalo Bills need to be playing their best football or they will lose I'm worried about the Bills I don't buy them the Dolphins are a nice story but come on every time they've played a good team this year they've been waxed more or less well we talked about this way back in the day when we did I believe it was all four of us together right that Dolphins offense we needed to see it up against strength and it wilted yeah like I, I, I don't I I don't know. I love Mike McDaniel. He's a great coach. I think he's a great guy for the job long term, but like something's not working against good defenses. And like we'll see, but I I do I don't buy the I don't buy the Dolphins at all. And then you you zoom down to the AFC South and it's like, okay, the Jags have looked human for a few weeks now. I get they're six and two, but I, I'm not scared by Trevor Lawrence. Sneaky, not for the conference, but for the playoffs, look at the Texans. C.J. Stroud is very, very good. The defense has some players and plays fast. I think the AFC South is getting two playoff teams. I think that's that's where we're heading. I think the Jags and the Texans are, are two teams to watch. And if Will Levis plays well enough, the Titans could play themselves into that too. And for the future, man, look at the AFC South. Next year, you've got Anthony Richardson hopefully coming back, CJ Stroud, and Will Levis. That's a kind of really fun division. That's a- is blue 
is Billy Jeans the best nickname for Will, El- Will Levis ever? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Blue Dreams. Yeah. Yeah. That's Billy Blue one. Jeans or whatever. I think it was Billy Jeans that was trending. At, at Listen, I thought he looked good in the Steelers game. I know the Stouts didn't pop off the screen, but he didn't make many bad plays. Like, I think he's going to be Who an would okay you take quarterback. That game? Can he pick it or Will Levis? Because I'm, Will taking, Levis. Will Levis. I'm yeah. taking Will Levis. Yeah. I mean, I. I like that division. I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. That draft class of Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, and Malik Willis is oh so bad. Into, they are who we thought they were ten territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's the Bengals, dude. This is the Bengals conference to lose. And for as like much as we want to say like, oh, it's a quarterback conference, I don't think the AFC's that deep either. I think there are two Super Bowl contenders in the AFC, just like there are only two Super Bowl contenders in the NFC. And I think they are the Broncos and I think they are the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs are only there because Patrick Mahomes exists. But but like I'm done giving I'm done giving the offense let's just take a look at the Chiefs schedule really quick because I want to be fair in how much of a hater I am. Uh, I want to be fair. Let's look at the next five games. Raiders, Packers, Bills, Patriots, oh, sorry, Eagles, by this week, Eagles, Raiders, Packers, Bills, Patriots. Okay, the Eagles are one good defense. You have to play one good defense in the next five weeks. You better light up the rest of them. And especially after the bye, like, if you want me to be convinced that you're a Super Bowl contender and that, oh, yeah, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they'll figure it out. Okay, this is your bye week. Figure it out. Figure it out and and get and have it figured out by that Patriots game. And if it's not figured out by that Patriots game, I'm sorry. I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt. And I'm picking against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, as stupid as that will be. But, like... At some point, they've got to show up because they have not thus far. All right, that was good. We covered a lot, and so much uh, for keeping it under uh, under the hour we were pitching. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, good call. It's always fun. They come at you fast and furious. These guys. Life comes at you fast. Indeed. All right. Well, until next week, I'll see you then, Brian. Uh, we will be back. I do have a crew together for the End Zone podcast tomorrow night, so we'll 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 dive deep into some NFL stuff, and I'm sure argue. Brad will be there, so I'm sure we will argue a lot about the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, so yeah, that All go right, abs. go Abs. Got them on on the background right now. Until uh, until next time, peace out.